So how many of you bought a lottery ticket this week? It's okay. There's no, I mean, it's only one point, what, six billion dollars? It's nine this week, but it was six on Saturday. And I forgot to get one on my way home. So I, I didn't win. So I'll get one this week. 1.9 is more my flavor. I don't really play until it gets big, you know. That one, one in the 229 million chance for that two-buck ticket, you know. It's, uh, and and I, I learned last time it got high, you know, before it went. I, I was in the store. I was going to buy a, a lottery ticket. And I did not know that you have to pay cash for lottery tickets. And, and the woman in front of me uh, tried to use her credit card to pay for lottery tickets. And they wouldn't let her. And she got pissed. I mean, she was just, and she stormed out of the store. And so I thought, I could see this story right now. Lady who tries to buy lottery tickets with a credit card doesn't take them. The guy behind her who happens to have a $10 bill in his pocket buys five lottery tickets and wins $1.2 billion. And that was me. (laughs) Uh, But it didn't happen. Um, you know, when we're asked that question, most of us, uh, in fact, I haven't heard anybody not say to me, um, hey, if I win the lottery, I'm, I'm going to give you and Shoal Creek a lot of money. You know, it's kind of interesting how we get generous when, when we have a lot of money in the bank. We, 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 when we have a lot, when it's plentiful, it's really easy to be generous. But the problem is, is that there is a, a, a kind of a situation here where generosity is oxygen to our souls. And, and, and somebody's stepping on the air hose because we kind of wait until we, we have a lot so we can, quote, give a lot. But generosity is, is something that makes us genuinely human. Now, I, I just want to maybe, if, if I had a whiteboard up here, if I was Dan Debel, I could write on that whiteboard like he does, you know, it'd be really cool. But he, he's bald and he dresses like cool. But I do have, I have cool tennis shoes on today. These are, these are my high school basketball shoes. Not, not the original ones, but, <laughs> but I saw them and they were for sale and I thought, I'm going back to high school, you know? So if I, if I were, you know, to, to, to write on, you know, this, this board, um, uh, we, we, would, we could begin to draw a timeline for this idea of, of generosity. Because you and I come fully human, when we're fully human, when we're, we're, we have this capacity um, there's something about a connection to our creator that makes it work. So the first thing I would write up here is, is that relax. This is not about what I want from you. I'm, I'm not going to ask you to give to Shoal Creek this morning. So you can take your hand off your wallet, you know, or wherever you've stuffed it so I can't get to it. Uh, it's, it's what I want for you. 
I, I want you to be fully human. I want you to experience what Jesus promised when he gave us some words in, in John 10.10. 10. He, he says that I, I came that you might have life. As you can tell, I've memorized this. So I don't have to turn to it, but I'm going to turn to it anyway. Um, he, he says, I came that you might have life. And you might have it full and meaningful. That was his promise. He, he, he wanted for you and I to have this life that had the texture of joy. It had the texture of, of rich relational connection. It had the texture of meaning and purpose and all kinds of things that made us fully alive and fully human. That was his promise. But unfortunately, in, in this timeline story that we might draw on this board, we see that at creation, God is interested in being generous. The creator God of the universe, as the Bible says, started this all. That creator was, was generous. And, and really, if you think about it, if I draw a circle a bunch of circles, and we brainstorm for a second. We say, okay, what are, the, what are the attributes of God? What are the key qualities of God? And we would put love, and, and uh, maybe he's all-knowing, and you know, if you, you, you know something about the Bible, he's all-powerful, and you know, all those kinds of things, kind of Sunday school answers you know, that you'd give. But if you ask me to to give you just one circle, I'm going to say that at the core of the creator God of the universe, the God who created Adam and Eve, the father of Jesus, his core attribute was generosity. I mean, we see it in Genesis 1 when he gives away his creation. He speaks and he brings all this stuff into being and he creates uh, the first man and the first woman, and he invites them into his family, into relationship with himself. And so they have this incredible opportunity to relate to their creator. He's generous because he gave away. He gave away what he had. Now, this can get really a little crazy for a moment because if we think about the, the God that the Bible describes is, is a God who exists in three persons. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. And so really, you know, you, you may have heard the word Trinity, Trinity before, but, uh, and that's not just a character, you know, in a, in a movie, but it's a, a concept. It's a tri-unity. It's, it's God exists in this community. And I, I have a hard time wrapping my head around it. You know, it's like, it, 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 it might need some altered state to get there. <laughs> it's a little crazy. But that's the, that's the God that the Bible describes. And, and, and that God existed in community. He wanted to give away that relationship that they had, the tri-unity, the tri-community of the Godhead. He wanted to give that relationship away to humans so they could experience the same thing that this tri-unity was experiencing. This, this perfect relationship of, of, of being related to other people and, and being for them and them being for you in a sense of they have your back and you have their back and, and there's no fracture or friction that's going on in there. There's just, it's just this like, it's what we dream of. 
And it's what our soul hurts, and it's why our soul hurts when that doesn't happen. When we feel the pains, the slings and arrows of life come against us, we feel this soul hurt, betrayal, and it hurts deeply, and it twists us into something less than human. We begin to wall ourselves off. We begin to be very, very judicious in how much of our life we share with other people because the more they know, the more likely they are to use that to do damage to us. And it begins to create walls and barriers that close us into kind of an isolated world. And so our relationship with other humans is at a kind of a nice and friendly level. But it's never at that soulful level where we really live in our own mind. God was generous in giving away his life so that this community would exist that would nourish and flourish our souls so that we would would grow into the fully human person that he intended for us to be. So that we would have the same core in our life And that was of being generous. That we would learn that you can give. You can give away your life. You can give away your time. You can give away your talents. You can give away your money. You can give away things to other people and find meaning and purpose at a level high above what this stingy, isolated life is all about. And unfortunately, All of us have followed in the pattern of of our forefathers, Adam and Eve. We we chose to do life apart from God. We we, we may not feel like that, but, but, but for most of us, as we've learned through this series, we start out on a treadmill of of trying to earn God's favor. Life is about a balance. I know I got a lot of crap over here, and so I'm gonna put try to put a lot of good things over here to try to balance that out. And and the Bible's you know, what I love about the Bible, and one of the reasons I, I uh, constantly say, you know, get your fingerprints on the Bible because you begin to see the Bible is fundamentally honest with you and I. You know, I, I've had people in my walk of life, you know, uh, people sort of look at me as kind of a holy guy, you know. If you get to know me, you know, I'm a lot less than holy. And they will look at me and they will say, well, I'm a good person. And it's like, okay. In your own estimation, you're a good person. I get that. But in the estimation of the Bible, you're not. The Bible says that no one's good. I don't care how good you think you are. No one's good. And it even says no one seeks after God. You know, we have this this Father in heaven who's coming looking for us. It's not like we're looking for him, but we're in this treadmill. We're down here trying to make him like us. When in fact, he chose to look beyond why he can't like us, to love us by sending Jesus to die in our place so that we could have another opportunity to enter his family. So we could experience what it's like to not be an earner, but to be an heir. To have this beautiful gift of a relationship with our Father, 
which changes life in this world and the world to come. A life that has as its core generosity. And why do we say in this, this journey, charitable to extravagant, you know, a lot of people have questioned, well, it's like, why do you say charitable? Well, it's because most of us start at that level. Most of us consider ourselves charitable. When you go to drive out of the parking lot today and someone's coming down this, you know, way and you're kind of coming like someone's got to give way to let them go, you know, most of us are charitable, right? Eh, go ahead, go ahead, you know. Or you, you come at a four-way stop at the same time. You know, and even though the person, you know, on your left doesn't realize that the person on the right has the right-of-way, you're charitable. Go ahead, you idiot, go ahead. <laughs> I don't want you to hit me. I don't want the, the struggle of that. Go ahead. You know, we all think of ourselves as charitable. We drop a few you know, bucks. And we don't have an offering plate, but you know, we got these boxes on the back here. You know, drop a few bucks in the, in the offering boxes and that kind of stuff. We give you know, when they ask at United Way at, at the office or the kid comes to the door selling Girl Scout cookies, you know, and we buy a dozen boxes of Girl Scout cookies thinking to be charitable only to realize that you know, all we're doing is buying five pounds. <laughs> I say that by personal experience. <laughs> you know, we, we just think of ourselves as charitable. You know, we're just, uh, yeah. But, but God wasn't charitable. He wasn't charitable at all. He was, he was extravagant. Because if we think back to this triunity, this God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit... And we think of God being generous in Genesis 1 and Genesis 2 and in the world, you know, going to hell in a handbasket when Adam and Eve decided to live life apart from God. God's generous heart decided to give away one of the most precious relationships that he had and, and all of existence of eternity, all those kinds of things, if you, when you think about God as being infinite, never had a beginning or a, an end, you know, so he, he decided to give away his son, Jesus, to be a sacrifice, to come and, and pay a debt that you and I owe to him for, for living life apart from him, for trying to be an earner, of, of thinking in our own head that we could we could pay back what we owe him, or we could somehow right the weights, the scales of life. God was generous when he, when he, he, he sent his son to die in our place. That, that generosity that he has is something that is about the family genetics that he wants to build and those who call themselves followers of Jesus. He wants their lives to be generous. He wants them to learn to give away what he has given to them, just like he gave his son. At the core of the creator God is generosity. 
At the core of who we are as, as humans is a soul deep inside us that wants to be generous. But unfortunately, there's something standing on our generosity air hose. It's a, a kind of genetic defect or thinking that says, when I get a lot, I'm going to be generous. And the fact is, is that's usually not true. You know, as I sit and think about winning the lottery, I think about what would I do with all that money? It's a lot of money. I mean, even if you just take it, you know, a lump sum, you're going to get, you know, 300, almost $400 million in, after taxes into your bank account. It's a lot of zeros. It's a lot of money. And what does history tell us? History tells us that most people who've never had that kind of money, and they get that kind of money, suffer from a disease. It's called sudden wealth syndrome. And more often than not, to a large percentage, into the 70 percentile range, it screws up their life. And yet, we all think, you know, when I, when I sell this house, I sell this piece of land, when I, uh, when I get a, a raise, when I do this or that, I'm going to start being generous at that point. Or when I get more time, I'm going to volunteer. Or I'd like to pursue discovering this kind of passion or giftedness that I have in my life, but, but I'll do that at some point. When I retire, when I do this, when I do that. And all, all of that kind of defect in our thinking is like someone standing on our air hose. There's this, this nutrient hose that wants to ship to the soul that God has given us. This rich sense of what it's like to be generous. And it doesn't have to wait for anything. It can start now. Without a change in your net worth. Without a change in your schedule. Without a change in your self-awareness of what you possess or don't possess as gifts or passions and abilities. It can start right now. It can start with you just simply trusting what God says. You know, there's some beautiful passages in the scriptures, especially Jesus talking about this very thing. He comes down to Matthew 6. If you think about the first story of Jesus' life, Matthew, the first one in the second half of the Bible, um, in, in chapters 5, 6, and 7, uh, really, in, in many ways, they are a synopsis of all of Jesus' teachings. If you read nothing else but Matthew 5, 6, and 7, uh, you, you, would, you would have a, a rich body of material to put to practice in your life for as long as you should live. I mean, it, it's, it's that full of stuff. He gets to chapter 6, and he says this, don't store up treasures on earth. 
Moth and rust can destroy them, and thieves can break in and steal them. You know, several months ago, uh, our neighborhood experienced what many neighborhoods in the Northland have been experiencing with people going through and, and uh, checking to see if cars were open. And then getting inside the car and rummaging around and seeing what valuables might exist in the car. And my wife, uh, she goes to spin class. And of course, if you go to spin class, like everybody else, you have to have these special shoes. Can't just exercise in tennis shoes anymore. You got to have these expensive little shoes with knobs on them and adjustments and all this kind of stuff. Well, she had her expensive little shoes in the car. And the door wasn't locked. And these thieves that came along at night stole her biking shoes, her spin shoes. And, um, you know, it was a sad moment. <laughs> uh, you can tell my gift of compassion just leaks out of me, doesn't it? <laughs> oh, yeah. So... She lost, and she was sad. She was really sad. When you see her today out here, just hug her and say, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. Yeah. The shoes are good for nothing but sitting in that room and riding on a stationary bike. Um, and they cost a lot of money. Uh, so, you ever had anything stolen? You ever had anything taken from you? You know, it's uh, sort of maddening, isn't it? Uh, there's a sense in which uh, you, there's no way that you can protect everything that you have. Uh, some of us, uh, house fires or break-ins or, uh, you know, we, we lose our identity. Someone pretends to be us and they get into our bank account or use our credit card. And, and there's something that that is soul painful about that. You feel invaded, betrayed at the, at the deepest level. And if it happens to someone close to you, then it's even more hurtful. And, and Jesus is saying, look, uh, just don't, don't store up what you treasure in this world. Because there's a good chance that it's going to get stolen or it can be stolen. Instead, store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust cannot destroy and thieves can't break in and steal. And then he drops the line. Now, Jesus was, was a great communicator, often a good comedian. And if the scriptures read like in, in the sort of uh, way that it's, it's meant to be read, he just sort of sums this up. He says, your heart will always be where your treasure is. Your heart will always be where your treasure is. That which you treasure will be that which is the center of your life. It, it will be the guiding force, the influence of your life. Um, if you come to my house, now, I really don't need you telling my wife this story, all right? You can do the bike story, but this one, yeah. If you come to my house, we have this large 12-foot uh, stone um, island, and it's made out of limestone. 
And everyone always sees it and go, wow, what is that? It's not marble, it's not granite, you know, it's not shiny and that kind of stuff. It's made out of limestone. So if you know anything about limestone, limestone's soft. And, and here we are with an island of soft stone, which means when I come home and if I take my keys off and I throw them onto the thing, um, she, she grabs the keys before they hit the, the limestone because she knows it might scar the limestone. Or if someone's over there trying to be helpful, I remember this one time, a friend of ours was over there just trying to be helpful, and, and she was you know, wiping the limestone down. And, and of course, we have one of those sponges, you know, the, it has a scratcher on one side and a sponge on the other. Um, and, and there was something on the limestone and she was trying to get off and she turned the scratch pad over and started, you know, trying to get it. And I mean, all hell broke loose. It's like, you cannot do that. I mean, there's a value. There's a value in that. You know, for me, if you come into my office and you move one of my books around, I'm, I'm going to break your hand. <laughs> now, I know it looks like a mess to you. I, I know it looks like a hurricane came through there and, and redistributed. But I know where every book is. I know I'm only reading 11 of them at one time. And I know where every one of them is when I need it. So don't move it. Leave my office alone. I like my mess. We all treasure things, right? We all treasure stuff. We want stuff. Uh, things are important to us. And Jesus says, look, those things that are really important to you are the guiding principles of your life. They're the influences that you pay attention to. So maybe for you, it's how you look, it's how you dress, what you drive, where you live, the image that you project to people. What's at the center of your world? Because what's at the center of your world, Jesus says, is this very thing that's standing on your air hose to your soul. It's the very thing that's keeping your soul from getting that, that oxygen of generosity that causes you to be fully human when you get it. And is the path to the promises that Jesus offered when he said, I want you to have life. I mean, I want it to be full and meaningful and joyful. I, I, I want you to have everything as a human that you dream about. I want it to be yours. But it comes in a certain way. It comes when the right things are at the center. When the right guiding influence is there, we get what Jesus promised. You see, the beauty about moving from charitable extravagant is about trusting that what God says about every resource that you possess, trusting what he says is true. Now, what is trust? Trust is acting as if it's true. You know, many of you would say, I, I believe that. I believe that. I mean, I'm in. I'm all in. I believe that. James, the brother of Jesus, has this frightening uh, verse when he says uh, to the readers of, of the book that he wrote, the demons believe. <laughs> you 
Even the demons believe. And they shudder. So it's not about belief. It's about trust. It's about acting as if it's true. Even Jesus said, look, if you love me, do what I say. Not, not believe what I say, know what I say. He said, do what I say. It's about a kind of relationship with a father in heaven, with his son who died in our place. It's the kind of relationship that says, okay, I, I, I trust you. And so I'm going to take a step. I may not feel it. It, it may not grip my soul. It, it, it may it confuse my head, but I'm going to trust. And I'm going I'm to act. I'm going to do what you say. So let me just suggest something that you could do this week. Um, and you could expose what's standing on your air hose, and you could look and say, okay, what do I treasure? You know, I treasure this. And you could ask people around you, what do you think I treasure? You know, and if they're honest, they'll tell you, but most likely they won't, because most of our friends aren't honest with us. You know, they, they aren't ruthlessly honest, you know. Um, but if you ask them, hey, would you be ruthlessly honest with me? They might. But, but really, the, the, the way to kind of encourage your journey from charitable extravagant is just decide to be generous. Decide that you're going to be fully human whether you feel like it or not. And so I want to ask you this week, would you give somebody something? Not probably money. I mean, maybe you've got a friend. Maybe you've got a neighbor. Maybe you've got a relative. Or, or maybe you've seen a commercial for the hurricane come across a jillion times and you thought, I should do that. And you thought ought was good enough. And you've never donated, you know, to, a, to something like that. Why don't, why don't you give something away this week? Give it away. Give a gift to somebody. Make it generous. Make it hurt. Make it more than you think you could give. Just give away something to someone or somebody. Some, or there are plenty of organizations in our area that, that are in need uh, of money. But to start the act of generosity in your life is not to think about it. It's not to to commiserate over it and get the CPU whirling and wondering if it'll fit in my budget and all that kind of It's just to act, just to do something, just to sit down, write a check if you know what those things are. Um, go on the internet, on your phone. Just, just, just start giving away money. Second, how about time? Where, where is your generosity in terms of, of your volunteer efforts? What, what are you doing to enrich your community? Maybe it's your neighborhood. Maybe, maybe you are a part of the gathering that's going to, or the network that's going to meet on Tuesday night, and you've taken, you say, look, the, my neighborhood's my circle of accountability. I'm going to be responsible to plant the good news of Jesus in my neighborhood. 
And I'm giving away time and talent and even treasure sometimes to make that happen. That's awesome. But a lot of us aren't. A lot of us are hanging on to everything right now, hanging on to our money, we're hanging on to our time, and we're hoarding the very talents and treasures that God has given us. In Ephesians 2, there's this beautiful passage, a passage that, that says, for by grace you've been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. All right? God came looking for us and drew us into his family. And he goes on in verse 10 to say, we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. God has this awesome plan for you to be incredible, for you to be impactful, for you to be influencing, for you to, to love on people and serve them and, and be involved in, in their world in such a way that it's richer because of your presence there. And so not only could you give a financial gift, not only could you allocate your time but you could start exploring what it is that makes you God's workmanship, what makes you his masterpiece. What is it? Where is it? Why is it that God wants to use you in a, in a unique way? This world will, will, will never hear about Jesus by meetings like this. They're helpful, but, but they won't ever get that out. There are 100,000 interactions that are going to take place just this week by those who sit in this room or sit on the Internet watching this. There, there are all kinds of interactions that are going to take place. Those interactions are, are potential opportunities for this beautiful virus we call the good news of Jesus. We watched a virus spread all over the world in the past two years. And yet the Bible talks about a breathable cure. A cure that can go from one person to the next of someone understanding that a generous creator God created us. And yet we don't feel like, and our world doesn't feel like, it's in his family because it's not. And so Jesus came to make, us, make a way for us to live in his family and join the family business to rebuild that family in this world. And that's why God has called us to this journey of moving from just being charitable to being extravagant in, in the way we live extravagant in, in, in our resources, in our time, in our talents. It, it's what the people who trust Jesus do. They act as if all that's true. Let's pray. Father, I, I thank you for these men and women that uh, hear my voice right now, either in this room or on the internet. I know that um, we are in a a difficult time. Uh, it's a time in our nation where there's great fracture. Um, we have a hard time even speaking to one another because we're unsure of how we might be judged in, in terms of our opinions and our political persuasions. And, and, and so we, 
we've accepted a, a level of isolation, a level of self-editing that is killing our ability to relate to one another. Father, I pray that you would make us generous people. People who aren't afraid to give away the money that you've given us. People that aren't afraid to, to take some of that 168 hours of our life and say, I want to invest this in other people. People who aren't afraid to explore and discover what you have created in them, the beauty of who they are, the masterpiece that they are, and, that, and finding that space in which you want to use them in, in ways that nobody else can be used. Father, I pray that we would be those people. That we would understand that when we center our lives on Jesus, that when he's the focus, when he's the, he's the compass, he's the guiding light in our, our world, he's our treasure. Then these promises that you've given us become possible. The promise of life full and meaningful, the kind of texture, the kind of being a fully alive human being that, that we have this image of being and, and maybe we've touched it and tasted it for, for brief moments, but we long for it to be the prevailing nature of our life. So give us the courage, Father, to make Jesus the center. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.